Hello and welcome back to Nick Tiffany's Movie Reviews in the podcast form. Today we're talking about 2022's probably the most divisive film, um, certainly one of the most discussed and debated, and that would be Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Um, this film comes off the heels of three pretty spectacular collaborations with uh, Chazelle and his composer Justin Hurwitz. Uh, you may know them from such films as Whiplash, Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons, La La Land, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, and then uh, First Man, which was Ryan Gosling again. Uh, the two, Hurwitz and uh, Chazelle, have had a flair for music um, with an emphasis on jazz for a long time, um, as every single one of their collaborations has had, you know, truly jazz-inspired, really unique and original soundtrack that... Um, quite honestly, has just kept hold of me each project that they kind of do. Um, but most specifically, I think, this time around with Babylon. Um, this is a film all about the excess, the outrageousness, the debauchery, the lies, the stepping on you have to do, and everything that goes on in the world of Hollywood. Um, you know, this is right around the 1920s, towards the end of the silent films, um, and this film is really at its best when it is showing you what that world of film used to look like, despite how crazy it could be what that end product might end up being. Um, because this is a, this is a really chaotic film and it's one that it took quite honestly, three, <laughs> three goes to really understand. And I feel like really appreciate more. Um, because my first reaction to this film was not great, you know, to be fully honest, you know, I, I woke up super early, no, super early that day for me, which was not early on an off day, but you know, the movie screening was at 10 AM. I was like, all right, you know what? Wake up. We'll have a light breakfast. We'll go straight to the movies. Cause I got to see what all the hubbub's about. I'm in the theater with one other guy. I'm still sleepy. I really had no clue what I was getting into. I didn't know that this film would start off feeling like The Wolf of Wall Street in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think maybe I was just a little caught off guard as well. Um, but this film does not shy away from uh, showing you some pretty gross things. You know, and some of it may be gross for laughter. I think some of it's just plain old disgusting um, and somewhat unnecessary and really detracts from the the overall story, but, you know, I, this third time around, I understand that this film really is, uh, supposed to be a no-holds-bars look at how effed up and how gross and horrible everything was, but amid all that, just how wonderful it could be, um, so I don't know, I remember leaving the theater confused, somewhat upset, what I had seen, um, feeling like some of the film was kind of mean-spirited a little bit, just in how it chooses to look at Hollywood or how it chooses to uh, look at parts of Hollywood. Um, and, you know, Chazelle's coming off of... Uh, he's, he's had a tough go at the Oscars. You know, the whole Moonlight thing, it still feels like, is following him here because, I don't know. He's He's got a lot to say about Hollywood and the people who make films and produce them. And... Um, I don't know, the second time I watched the film, I liked it more. I had found myself, you know, humming the songs and just thinking about, you know, four or five 
really, really spectacular moments um, and scenes within the film that just stood out to me as some of my favorite of the year, which felt impossible because there were so many things that I detested um, a first time around as well. And so my curious cat mind just kind of kept ticking. And so I was like, all right, you know what? I want to watch it again. You know, I, I know I said I hated it the first time, but, you know, maybe I was wrong. Maybe there was something there. And the second time around was much better. Um, and what I've really learned about this film is it really is at its best when it allows its actors to really showcase their characters and what they're capable of. I think Brad Pitt especially steals the show. Um, despite being the best supporting actor, I think he gives more of a lead performance uh, than Diego Calva does as Manny in the film, um, and maybe even more so than Margot Robbie in the film. But uh, but Brad Pitt is, God, he's such a great actor in his way that he can charismatically flow through seriousness and goofiness and drunkenness and then in an instant snap to just deliver one of the best monologues you've seen from him or heard from him um, or showcase why he is such a sought-after and terrific actor. Uh, he's so enjoyable to watch, and there is a sincerity to him sometimes that really, really shines through um, and gives this film something to not fight for, but gives you just this really big sense of, like, I get why the movies are important. I get why these are such lasting things and why movie making is an art, because it is an art. Um, how it can affect anyone from a child to an adult to someone who's old. I'm like, old and young alike. The power of movies can't be underestimated. Um, and when they're touching on that, this film does so well um, because it gives us this really cool look and a cool and chaotic look into how a lot of these silent films were made before the advent of talking pictures and having microphones and recording booths on set. Um, it's crazy how much stuff was going on in the background of all these film sets while they're just trying to knock out picture after picture almost lined up side by side in these blocks. And, um, you know, because you're not recording audio, it matters not what's being said, shouted, screamed, anywhere in the background. Um, and because of that, you were able to knock out so many of these pictures at once. You know, here's our little 2D, 3D-ish box set. Um, and they had a little band nearby to kind of cue him in to give him a sense maybe of the, uh, the soundtrack or the urgency of the scene. Um, but it was fascinating. It was, I guess it was something I never really had thought about before, um, in terms of how movies are made or produced. Cause I've been on a couple, I've had the fortune of going on a couple of the Warner brothers, uh, lots and checking out, um, some of where they filmed down there. Um, and being on a movie set, it's really, really cool. You know, you can see how some of it is fake, but then you see where the magic happens and you see, where the actors and the prop crew and all that set people can bring in all these different pieces to make it look so believable on that camera. Um, and so that's where, you know, you've got Margot Robbie, whose character is just all sorts of crazy, but she knows she's a star, and by damn it, she's going to be one. Um, and this, um, this is a you know, really great performance on her end, too. 
clearly coming from a, a place of humble beginnings and maybe not the best background, but her character is determined to make something of herself. Um, and so there's two specifically just phenomenal scenes with her moving through some of these acting motions, um, but also showing you this unfortunate and sincere side of her that is so hurt by her past that kind of feeds into her performances and perhaps uh, the way she is the way, uh, why she is the way she is. Um, And so you do get just a few of those brief, sincere moments with her. I wish we kind of had a little bit more with her Um, because there's times where this movie really tries to sell love between her and the main character, Manny, um, played by uh, newcomer Diego Calva. Manny, um, you know, he does sort of odd jobs for all these producers, whether it's helping wrangle elephants into the home for a party and helping them do X, Y, and Z, drive this person, do whatever. But he strikes big when he happens to take Brad Pitt to set one day. And it was off to the races. He manages to find a place for himself, makes himself valuable. Um, and these two people who early on... All they wanted to do was be in the movies, be a part of something like that. They're finally a part of it. They're, you know, they're getting the foot in the door. They're making their way. And, you know, they'll connect throughout the film um, through a lover's theme, which really stood out to me in the, the soundtrack especially because anybody who's a fan of La La Land or has seen La La Land will no doubt notice that there are some borrowed bits of the soundtrack Um Specifically in those lovers' themes, it feels like oh, I've, I'm getting the La La Land impression here, but these two don't have chemistry like Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, and there have not been enough stakes for us to like really believe and buy into the fact that like these two could end up together. Um, and so there's there's a few moments in the film like that where it's clear that they want to sort of force something, or they want you to think that this is a bigger deal than it is, or it's a greater relationship than it is, but even a third time through, that's still kind of an issue for me, where I'm like, I didn't quite buy it as much. The you know, third time around, I, I bought it more. Um, I've also got a conspiracy that now that they got an Oscar nom, they put out a different cut of the film, because this third time around, there were a few things I noticed that weren't in the film, so anybody who's seen the film more than once, let me know if you noticed any differences. Because <laughs> there's a couple scenes where I was like, I did not see that happen, and that would have killed in the audience, so... Um, but it just, you know, it reminded me too much of his previous film. And so that's, there's moments where that can hurt this story a little bit. Um, and because of that too, some of the character motivations behind Margot's character, um, they're not convenient, but they just feel like they're starting to fade into a completely different story. Not that her character couldn't have problems with drinking or gambling or any of these things but um my biggest issue is in the last hour because this is this is a three-hour movie uh, three hours and you know six or nine minutes or something like that um and kind of like avatar the way of water there are more than a few moments where i'm like okay this seems like a pretty good place to start wrapping up or this seems like a, a decent finale to the film you know and it's like oh no we're gonna we got more for you um, and then this film really goes off the rails in the last 40 minutes. Um, it's, I might give adventures into some horror for a little bit that really comes out of nowhere. 
Um, and then it really has one of the, the most confusing and somewhat pretentious like montages of film at the end of it. Um, it's one that I've seen heavily debated online um, because this is both a movie that respects and loves filmmaking, but also tells us that true filmmaking has died and true cinema has died. And despite how revolutionized everything can be, nothing is ever going to compare to those golden glory days when making movies had you on the top of the world, you know, you could get away with murder practically on all these sets. Um, but, you know, it was just, it was almost like a playground. And that dream started to fade a little bit with the advent of uh, sound pictures. And there's a whole great sequence there where they're learning to adjust to having a microphone and how easy it is to just, oh, you know, can we move that mic a little bit? They're like, yeah, no, it's not that easy yet. What we can do now in our standards, I think, helps lend us some of that humor because we know how easy it is to point and record something. And, you know, we've got smart technology that can help muffle out sounds or it can help increase audio here and all this kind of stuff. Um, so watching these people struggle to change films from silence to sounds was really, really interesting stuff. Because um, you just, I don't know. For me, I never really thought about it. I never took too much time to imagine how big a transition that was or to think about the audiences of the time and to think about how exciting or how weird or new that might be for them. Um, and so there are a few moments in the film which touch on audiences and their reactions to, uh, to that sound, to hearing someone sing while their mouth is moving rather than getting these kind of cue cards that would take place afterwards. Um, and it is pretty cool. Um, it is really cool because obviously the Academy are suckers for movies about movies, and I get it. Um, and I agree with a lot of the things in this film that they speak about in terms of the importance of movies. Um, Brad Pitt really, I mean, he really kills it with his uh, one of his monologues. But, you know, he mentions vaudevilles in Nickelodeon theaters and the ideas that while Broadway and all these other forms of higher art might be accessible for the wealthy and the elite. You know, the people on the ground, us plebeians here, you know, all you needed was a nickel to go get entertainment and it would be something for the whole family. And, you know, people always rag on the Nicole Kidman. Uh, AMC, maybe not rag on her, but it's fun to joke about. But, you know, heartbreak, it feels real in a place like this. It feels good here at the movies. It's cheesy. But it's true. Um, there is something about seeing someone's story, escaping your own life for a moment, and living in someone else's life um, that's therapeutic for people. I think, you know, everything wrong in the world, everything that could be going wrong in your life or keeping you down, I don't know. You know, seeing seeing a funny movie, seeing something distracting helps. Um, and like a lot of good movies, hopefully it forces you to think and maybe challenge your beliefs. It forces you to look at the world in different ways. Um, and so I wish in some ways this film leaned more on that side of what they had to say about how movies can 
influence rather than uh, rather than being a little more on the cynical side um, and choosing to believe that filmmaking as an art has probably died and what we have now will never compare to the the greatness of the past. But then you just get into the Midnight in Paris argument, and I'm sure that in the 20s their favorite films were from the 19 or the 1870s or something back when you know you had to put the big old black drape around you to take your light bulb pictures. I'm clearly pulling this out of my butt right now. But uh, it's that golden age thinking. Things would have been better in the time before. And so for as good a job as this film does romanticizing the past, it also does give you a pretty unabashed look at just how effed up a lot of things were too and how laissez-faire people were um, when it came to disposing of people even just in terms of uh, whether you're an actress, a studio exec, an extra, whatever, you know. Hollywood will chew you up and spit you out. And so, to that same point, I just wish there was also, if you're going to go with that critique, like they kind of do at the end, I wish they would have just committed a little bit more to that. Um, but three times down, I got to say, Babylon is it's inching up the ranks towards my... Uh, my 10 best list of the month, of the year, I should say. Um, that's probably the best thing I've seen this month because it's the only thing I've seen this month. But uh, but I don't know. I just I cannot get it out of my head. I cannot stop listening to the soundtrack in the car. Um, and I can't stop thinking about a couple key moments from these performances from Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. Um, I believe the film's coming to Video On Demand January 31st, uh, which probably means its theatrical run is is ending, which is not surprising because it has not made a lot of money in the theaters, and I don't know, it just it wasn't a lot of marketing for this movie either. Um, I think it is worth a watch. I think you were warned. I am officially warning you. You're going to see some crazy stuff, some graphic stuff, some just kind of gross stuff sometimes. Um, so, you know, I grit through it. Some of it's worth it. It will lead to an interesting discussion no matter what once you finish the movie. And so uh, with that being said, those who have seen this movie or those who listen to this and go out and see it, please let me know what you think. Um, Because this, I think, is going to spark a lot of really interesting dialogue. Um, But there you have it. Damien Chazelle, as Mike Ward, great friend of mine, said, I don't know who hurt you. I hope you got it out with all of this. I'm curious to see what your next project is going to be like. But I'm sure as hell it's not going to be as crazy and just all-consuming as Babylon was. But I hope to hear from y'all about that soon. And stay tuned for the next review. Thanks, y'all.